Hey there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Friday, October 30th. Coming up, hydro rates set to go up in the province. Is it a possible beginning? Are we seeing that to a second wave of restaurant closings? And malls secretly collecting the images of some 5 million Canadians. All of that coming up next, here in the podcast. As if Halloween was not scary enough this uh, weekend, adding to the uh, fright, adding to the scare, your hydro rates are going up. That's right. Hydro rates are going up as of uh, November 1st, as of Sunday. Premier Doug Ford says uh, he doesn't like it, doesn't like it one bit. But is there really nothing he can do about it? Let's ask Peter Tabbins. He, of course, is the MPP for Toronto Danforth. He is also the NDP critic for energy and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Peter, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay, thanks. Uh, although I'm going to be reaching a little deeper into my pocket as of Sunday to pay for my uh, hydro. Uh, as I mentioned, the Premier says that he hates it. He doesn't like the fact that rates are going up. But are his hands, Peter, are they tied? No, they're not at all. And to say he hates it, this is the guy who promised to reduce rates by 12%. Uh, this is the guy who put in, in place uh, an increase in our hydro rates every year by the rate of inflation. This is his program. It isn't anyone else's program. So uh, I don't know where he, where he thinks he's going with this statement, I hate it. He put it in place. He doesn't hate it that much. Um, we've had two years pass, more than two years pass since the election. We haven't had any action from him dealing with the big tax breaks that were given to Hydro One, recovering those to help keep our electricity rates down. We haven't had any action from him bringing Hydro One back so that we don't have to pay federal taxes on the electricity that we buy. Uh, he hasn't de- dealt with the profit-making in the electricity sector. He's really just drifted along. He took the program that the Liberals had in place, pretty much kept it going, looking up for shareholders, not for us. So yes, he could do something. And if he hates it, he doesn't hate it that much. He doesn't hate it enough to do something. Well, you mentioned the previous Liberal government. Ford is blaming them for these latest increases, saying that he, quote, inherited a mess of an energy file. And he actually goes on to say that rates would be much higher if he hadn't been elected. Well, where do you start? First of all, where do I agree with them? The Liberals left a mess. Absolutely. Has he continued their policies? Absolutely. He's continued making sure that shareholders get looked after first. Did he do anything about the over $2.5 billion in tax breaks given to Hydro One? Money that we could have recovered and used to reduce people's hydro rates? No, he didn't do a thing about that. Has he done anything to get Hydro One back in our hands so that profits aren't flowing to shareholders, so that taxes aren't flowing to Ottawa? Things that could help reduce hydro bills. No, he hasn't done any of that. Has he looked at look, bringing the system overall back into public hands, or even just saying the rate of profit that you make on uh, regulated power, you can't have that high a profit level. We'll go to levels in Manitoba, which are set lower than they are here. He hasn't done any of those things. He's, he's played around the edges, but effectively, he's just doing what Kathleen Wynne did, and that's why people are unhappy, because they're seeing hydro bills go up. Well, when the Premier was asked about this, Peter, he did say that his government has been working on a plan to lower rates. Uh, and as of March, uh, they were still looking at that. But of course, that was just as the pandemic struck. So should we cut the Premier and the Conservative government some slack because of what they have been uh, dealing with over the last uh, seven or so months? Well, 
you know, it would be a very different situation if from the day that he got elected, they'd actually worked on it, but they didn't. You know, to say almost two years into your mandate, oh, I'm going to start thinking about this, I'm going to, I'm going to solve this problem. No, it, it doesn't wash. You know, he got elected in 2018, so he had close to two years before the pandemic struck. Uh, we didn't see any reduction in our hydro bills, 12% that he promised. What we saw was a, a 2% increase in 2019, and we're going to see another almost 2% this year. Yeah, by uh, the way, sorry to interrupt, what does that really equal for the average rate payer? Do you know uh, over a year, a 2% increase? I actually don't know. I'm sorry, Jeff. I wish I had the figure. The uh, may, maybe well, let's say a hundred dollar bill a month. So maybe two dollars, twenty four dollars a year. Added uh, on to what we're uh, currently paying. Yeah. All right. Uh, having said that, uh, the premier also says that the energy minister is working on quote a really, really good plan, and he'll be rolling that out in the next little while. As the energy critic, are you privy to that plan? Do you know what the government is uh, working on right now? No, I, I'm not, as a matter of fact. The last thing that they did was they had uh, the, the system operator look at uh, rewriting the contracts with all the electricity generators. And, I mean, I didn't think anything was going to come out of that, uh, or very little. And, in fact, that's the case. They came back and said... No, there's there's no juice to squeeze here. That isn't going to happen. Uh, I, I don't have any sense whatsoever from talking to people in the industry uh, that they're actually coming back with something that's going to matter. Uh, or, frankly, they're going to come back with anything. I mean, he, he is not talking about his 12% reduction anymore. Why not? What happened to that promise? Why did you abandon that promise? Why did you say that to the people of Ontario and then get elected and really just sit on the file? for two years. Come on. What what are you actually doing and thinking? And telling me that there's a surprise coming, well, who knows? Maybe it's like Trump, you know, we're going to turn the corner on COVID. We're turning the corner. Well, I, I keep hearing that something's going to be done, but I don't see anything happening. Do you? Well, let me ask you uh, as well, because uh, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, are seeing a certain amount of irony here as well, because we've had the premier over the last couple of weeks uh, call out, in particular, food delivery services saying, essentially, come on, guys, do your part. Yep. Is the government doing their part when it comes to hydro rates? Could they be doing more for, you know, the average uh, person here in this uh, province? Should there be a, a moratorium on hydro rate increases uh, right now? Well, I think there should be, actually. Uh, I think that you're right. Uh, governments do need to be doing a lot. Uh, this government seems to be taking money from the federal government and spending it when it's helping people on COVID. Uh, and even then, they're holding back quite a lot of money. No, they could they could be acting in this emergency situation. Uh, but I, again, Jeff, I'm going to go back. You get elected, and for two years, you do almost nothing. And then you say, "Oops, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring out a secret plan that will solve this." No, that it, that's not the way to deal with people of Ontario. Uh, if he was serious, he would have started on day one. And frankly, I don't think he was serious. He made a promise. He broke the promise, uh, and people are paying the price. All right, Peter, we'll leave it there. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Have a happy and safe Halloween weekend. 
Thanks, Jeff. To you as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. There goes Peter Tabbins. He is the NDP energy critic. Lots of renewed concern over the restaurant industry in Toronto with the announcement that Pickle Barrel, a longtime downtown favorite, of course, has shut its doors permanently. Let's uh, welcome in Paul Bogner. He's the president and chief operating officer of service-inspired restaurants. And Paul joins us now here on Global News Radio. Paul, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. First off, a Pickle Barrel downtown announcing yesterday that they're closing two landmark restaurants on the Danforth also closing, uh, we heard uh, yesterday. Is this, unfortunately, do you think, Paul, the beginning of the uh, second wave of restaurant closings? Well, I, I certainly think it's not good. I mean, um, you know, Pickle Barrel's now part of Recipe, which is a large, large, um, maybe the largest conglomerate of restaurants in the country. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some strategic uh, reasoning driven by high rent, uh, maybe the lack of, of subsidy, um, and, and in a market that's now depressed by 80 to 90 percent. I mean, that's the business losses we're seeing up the street. So I can only assume they're experiencing exactly the same thing. I mean, that is staggering. Is that sort of an average 80 to 90 percent businesses now off for restaurants? Yeah, well, for the downtown locations, certainly. Um, you know, we've we've got a number of large properties as well. Jack Astor's at Fronton University, Jack Astor's at uh, Young and Dundas, the Loose Moose. They, these are all big, uh, you know, eight to 10,000 square foot footprints um, and, and very, very high rent. And, and we can't open the restaurants. And, you know, patio business now is, is diminished. The Loose Moose doesn't even have a patio. So um, yeah, how, how does anyone expect us to survive without some sort of uh, rent relief, which we've not qualified for up till now, um, and a modified wage subsidy that's actually providing less money than, than it did initially at a time when we need more? Well, let me ask you, Paul, because maybe you haven't heard this. It just come down in the last few minutes as we were carrying the premier's uh, opening remarks uh, here on the air. But he did say that they were they are going to extend the ban on commercial evictions. Is that a big help, or is that just kind of sort of kicking the can down the road for restaurants because th- those rents, those exorbitant rents, are still piling up? I mean, yeah, you can't be evicted, but without you know a lot of rent relief and a lot of help, does that really help restaurants and other businesses? No, I, I I don't think so. I mean, it's a it's a nice gesture. It's I, I agree with you. For for most of us, I don't think it's significant. Um, you can't be evicted, but as you said, the landlords are obviously not letting us off the hook on rent. So a deferral just means a liability at some point down the road. Um, you know, I don't think the lack of evictions is just a postponement measure to the inevitable, which is is when all this money is due. Um, which, you know, the first of the month is upon us. And, and uh, again, the federal government has yet to provide any details um, to the last program, which ex- which expired at the end of September. I also want to ask you about the mayor's comments. Uh, mayor Tory, who says that uh, stricter masking rules and closing times, earlier closing times, maybe the trade-offs for uh, indoor dining to resume. Your take on that, Paul? Well, I, you know, while I respect everything our politicians are trying to do, that information was provided by our associations a long time ago. Uh, we had asked for data 
a long time ago. Uh, Dr. Davila has not provided any information. Um, um, and then today, Lily uh, of the Toronto Sun broke a story, which is what we've been claiming from day one that, you know, restaurants are not the problem. We've invested tons and tons of money in, in uh, social distancing and safety protocols and PPE devices. I mean, we, we have said this time and time again, and, and they allowed a couple of bad actors on King Street West um, to influence all the other properties in the city. And I, I just think it's wrong. Now, you can't undo the wrong, so I think I, I at least commend him for, for saying, okay, um, we're going to tell you how to stay safe. We've been doing it. Contact tracing, masking of employees, um, minimums, uh, two meters of social distancing, plexiglass. Uh, I mean, we've done all of that. So shy of having some sort of elasticized opening on a mask for you to allow a fork to go through. I mean, we've been doing it. Um, and if they, you know, they should should have consulted with us, which we've offered many, many times. And uh, I can only look going forward. So I want to say I'm encouraged going forward that maybe we can get back in business. All right. Encouraged going forward. But as it stands right now, frustrated. I hear some frustration in your voice. Absolutely frustrated. We've not been able to get any level of government on the same page. So the federal government is working one way, the provincial government a different way, the local government in, in Toronto a third way. Um, and, and then to find out today that this miscommunication or it almost feels like bad data or fabrication of information, um, which, which we've been pleading for them to look at for months, finally comes forward. So, yeah, that's the frustration is in the meantime, how many people have lost their jobs? How many people have lost their businesses? How many of us are in debt up to our eyeballs with rent that's due, um, you know, other operating costs? So, um, as I said, that frustration, yes. Um, positive side of me says encouragement the other way that sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. And, and I do appreciate I don't want this to sound um, you know, totally negative. I, I get it. I get the pressure that that John Tory and Doug Ford and and uh, Krista Freeland and and Justin Trudeau are under. I, I get it. But you know, I, I would also say we're the people that are running businesses. We're the people that can demonstrate what we're doing. And if somebody would take the time to talk to us instead of people who who may have different motivation, maybe maybe some of this could have been avoided. That being the health officials, do you think, in, in the face of the uh, data, do you feel as if the industry, the restaurant industry, hospitality industry, have they been unfairly targeted? Yeah, I absolutely feel we've been unfairly targeted. And, and their own data that's, that's come out today saying that amongst all the drivers of COVID, restaurants have been the smallest percentage. So... I then question why everyone else was allowed to operate and, and restaurants were targeted. And, and I think that was just an easy way to do it. And, and I think it was a mistake. All right, Paul, what would you like to see government do moving forward here? If uh, you are encouraged about uh, what's coming down, and we did hear also from the premier just a uh, moments ago that there will be a plan to ease restrictions that is coming next week. What would you like to see for your industry? I, you know, I've been I've been pretty vocal. Um, I, I think we need to do this not on a, a region by region, but a more localized basis. And if there's a localized hotspot, I think you you need to then target that localized hotspot, but don't tar everybody with the same brush. Um, I do think they should adopt an industry council to help guide them. So in these areas where they're making assumptions. 
that there's somebody else as a counterpoint that can demonstrate, um, as I said, safety and the safety of our employees and guests. You'd like a seat at the table rather when we hear about the health table rather than just health officials and uh, doctors, maybe, you know, some business leaders such as yourself that are there, uh, you know, on the ground to get your perspective? Uh, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think that would be fabulous. And, and we all have the, the same interest. We want to get rid of COVID-19. There's no two ways about it. We don't want to be the source of transmission. But, but I do believe there's a lot we can do and demonstrate to people. And, you know, the other side of the coin that everyone talks about is, is people's mental health and the need to, to have some sort of normalcy back in their lives. And I believe that on a, on a safe and limited basis, we may be able to help with that. So um, I, I do think there's much more validity than just uh, serving a beer or a hamburger. Yeah. Just finally, uh, the Premier talked yesterday about a more surgical approach. Is that your vision and what you're talking about instead of, you know, uh, painting everybody with the same brush? Uh, let's have a look at uh, individual uh, areas and, uh, yes, go in where need be in certain uh, hot spots, but to close an entire city's restaurants down just maybe doesn't make a, a lot of sense moving forward? Yeah, I, I 100% uh, support a, a much more surgical approach, and, and I hope that's where he's headed. I also think that the penalty should be much higher. So if somebody breaks the rules, and we know that some do, um, pull their business license or suspend their business for 30, 60, 90 days rather than punish everybody else who's doing it right. So uh, I do support surgical approach, and I do support a bigger penalty for those who decide not to follow the rules. All right, Paul, really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Be well. There's uh, Paul Bogner, President and Chief Operating Officer of Service Inspired Restaurants, a Surcorp. And we're back on this Friday, and if you've been in the malls in the last little while, I sure hope you were smiling because an investigation by Canadian privacy commissioners has uncovered and says that malls owned by Cadillac Fairview actually collected the images of, how about this, some 5 million, 5 million unsuspecting Canadian shoppers. Now, this use of facial recognition technology is raising concerns with both bargain hunters and privacy advocates. And joining us now for more on this is Brent Horman. He's the Deputy Privacy Commissioner of Canada and he joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Brent, good afternoon. Appreciate you joining us on this Friday. Good afternoon. All right. First of all, uh, do we know exactly how these 5 million images, how they were being uh, collected in these various malls across the country? Yeah. So this happened over a two-month period in 2018. And uh, these images were connect- uh, collected by the uh, digital kiosks. Uh, those maps that are in the uh, shopping malls, and this was in 12 properties across uh, Canada that were owned by Cadillac Fairview. And so there was conspicuous cameras um, on the ex- on the exterior of these maps that would capture facial images um, and then translate them into uh, what we would call facial arrays or numerical representations. So. As you mentioned, 5 million images of Canadians uh, were captured, and this could include repeat customers, but that's a massive uh, amount of um, information. And um, in terms of what would happen then, they would use this information uh, for the purpose of carrying out analytics to uh, identify demographics such as age and gender, and and they uh, said it was also for foot traffic um, means. 
Okay, so, so is this all, sorry to interrupt, but was this all contained by Fairview Cadillac for their own use? Because that was my next question was, do we know why, why everyone's images were being uh, collected and how they were being used? And is it uh, Fairview Cadillac's contention that they were just using this uh, for demographic breakdowns uh, for their own purposes? Yes, yes, that is what they uh, represented. They said it was for their own uh, for their own purposes, and what they had claimed as well is that um, uh, they did not retain these images, uh, and the images in themselves were deleted. But the facial representations, the numerical representations, were actually retained by a third party contractor working for. Um, uh, Cadillac Fairview on a decommissioned server that Cadillac Fairview was unaware of uh, that existed. So as part of the investigation as well, in addition to requiring them uh, to um, uh, stop the conduct and only and only commence if they were to do it with express opt-in consent, we also called for the deletion of that database, which they had committed to do uh, except for retention of information relating to legal purposes. Okay, and again, this was all being done. People's images, they were being snapped. Photos were taking, uh, were being taken of people as they were using these digital kiosks, digital kiosks, sorry, without their consent, without their knowledge. Yeah, it is, it is absolutely nothing that a shopper would expect when they're going in to have a shopping experience. And uh, what Cadillac Fairview did claim is that, well, they told them uh, shoppers were informed by these decals at the uh, at the front of the malls that said that cameras were uh, present. But those decals talked about uh, video surveillance for uh, safety and security. They did not talk about uh, the capture of facial images uh, for analytical analysis and uh, for retention, which is exactly what was going on. Okay, that was also going to be my next question, was just by entering the mall, was there some sort of provision? Does Cadillac Fairview uh, contest that, uh, hey, you've consented to this just because you walked onto our uh, property? So there indeed were some stickers, some sort of warning that your image could be captured, but it wasn't necessarily stated for what purpose? Well, the, the stickers were about um, notifying about video surveillance for safety and security purposes. But this was a completely different purpose and wouldn't be what individuals would expect, which was part of the concern here. You know, we're talking about facial images, and that is very sensitive biometric data, data that is unique to each individual and could be used as a key to identity. So... The fact that it's sensitive information and the fact that individuals would not expect it to be there was a serious concern is why we, why we said that this would need express opt-in consent. And I will also say that with respect to um, notifying Canadians, uh, the fact that uh, the, the details certainly weren't enough in our view, and they had indicated that in their privacy policy that they talked about use of demographics um, images and for other purposes. Yes, that was in their privacy policy, but it was 2,300 words in of a 5,000-word privacy policy. And when you're thinking about a physical location like a mall, it's, um, it's hard to imagine that uh, individuals would look to a privacy policy before visiting. Yeah. Brent, how and why is this different than, I mean, as we know, on average, we're on camera. Who knows how many times uh, per day now is the uh, average, but, uh, you know, walking on certain street corners, there's uh, cameras up. When you walk into uh, different stores, you're right, there's security uh, cameras. Why is this what went on in these malls? Why is this any different? Okay, well... You're right. You know, there are cameras out there for safety and security purposes, but this was different. This was taking more than just 
surveilling for uh, safety and foot traffic purposes. This was carrying out analytics and demographic analysis of people's uh, facial images. And not only that, this information and the numerical representation of these images were stored. Now, we know um, of all the possibilities and risks of breaches in, uh, in Canada. And, um, and across the world. And to the extent that we have this vast database of stored facial representations, that's a risk because these representations could potentially be used to re-identify individuals, including matching uh, with images from online. So um, that's a difference. And plus, it, it clearly was something the Canadians did not expect. Uh, from their shopping experience, and we see this as a as a very significant intrusion on individuals' privacy rights, and and potentially degrading the trust they have in their in their shopping experience. Well, those two things you just mentioned are those the main reasons why people should be concerned about this. Well, they, I, I think those are very much up there in terms of why individuals should be concerned, and plus, individuals uh, have a right. Uh, to have a say of what happens with their personal information. They have a right to choose. This was a situation where that right wasn't afforded to the individuals. There was no consent here. Uh, they, what we're saying is for such information uh, and such collection and the use of facial recognition technology in this situation, you need to ask Canadians before you, um, before you engage in it, and they have to agree to it. All right. Having said that, did Cadillac Fairview did they do anything illegal here, or is that something that still be to still be determined? Well, we found that this was a contravention of um, the private sector privacy laws of Canada, PIPEDA. So we did find that it was well founded that it was the collection of um, of uh, personal information without consent. All right. And just finally, is the genie out of the bottle here? I mean, is there putting this back in, putting a cap on it, or is this just the the wave of the future? Well, I think that, first off, for this situation, um, it, is, it is good and positive that Cadillac Fairview uh, agreed to discontinue this, um, uh, this collection and uh, this use of this technology. Uh, it is concerning that um, they did not commit to us that if they were to re-engage with this technology, they would do so with the with the uh, informed, often consent of Canadians. Uh, but they have... Uh, in this situation, it's being discontinued, and that database will be deleted except for retention for legal purposes. And I think one of the big lessons that we're taking out of this is that facial recognition technology is available. It's available to um, companies. It's available to agencies. And what we're saying is that look, take a look what happened here and ensure that if you are going to avail yourself of such technology, you have to do it in a way that respects the privacy rights of Canadians. And that means often consent, because this is highly sensitive biometric information, and Canadians have a right to have a say. Yeah, just finally, is one of the big concerns, and we've talked about this uh, in the past when it comes to uh, police services using something like this facial recognition technology, that all of a sudden you have unknowingly or unwittingly had your face captured. It's now on some hard drive uh, somewhere, and then all of a sudden some crime is perpetrated, and your facial uh, characteristics might match that of the culprit, and they look at it, and you were in that vicinity at that time, and then all of a sudden you've got to explain yourself? Okay, well, um, first off, with respect to this investigation, 
Um, there, we uncovered no evidence that there was any sharing such information with any, uh, any third parties. But to answer your question, we do have other ongoing investigations. And one ongoing investigation is against a company called Clearview. And Clearview uh, was also using facial recognition technology and taking images from social media networks across, uh, across the world. And so uh, that investigation is ongoing. But what, what I can tell you is that in July, uh, Clearview did inform us of its decision to exit the Canadian market as a result of our investigation. But our office remains concerned about the retention of the personal information, and our investigation is ongoing. And this is another investigation that we're doing alongside our partners in Quebec, BC, and Alberta at their privacy offices. So uh, that investigation is ongoing. It relates to facial recognition technology. We also have an ongoing investigation into the uh, RCMP's uh, use of, uh, of, of Clearview. And those are two investigations that in the future uh, we will be able to uh, pronounce on. Well, it goes without saying, we'll be watching that with uh, interest in a very interesting and somewhat concerning uh, conversation here this afternoon. Brent, I really appreciate your time in informing us all. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You as well. Brent Horman is the Deputy Privacy Commissioner of Canada. And I don't know, uh, Mary, Rob, if uh, you've ever thought about this before or it's uh, crossed your mind because, you know, as technology continues to advance and become more invasive in our daily uh, lives, I mean, I remember reading a study years ago, and I'm sure it's grown exponentially since then, the amount of times we are unknowingly on camera, just walking down the street, walking through, uh, you know, not only shopping malls, but in and out of stores and uh, onto elevators and all of that. I mean, it is just incredible, and you don't know what is being done uh, with your image and what is being done with uh, your personal data. Yeah, I mean, we hear this in futuristic films all the time, and it's the basis of a scenario for so many different plot, you know, shifts, and uh, it's it's out there. I mean, and if you look at the technology that was in place with this case, it's a little pencil cam, which is basically the size of the top of a pencil. So these can be in places where you would never imagine or can be in such incon inconspicuous spots and, you know, just sort of makes us think, wow, is Big Brother watching? Yeah, it can be. Yeah, and uh, more than we uh, probably uh, know or realize. You know, one of my first kind of run-ins, if you will, with this is years and years ago, I remember being in a shopping mall in the States and uh, looking for Wi-Fi and uh, hooked up. And then, of course, you've got to agree and, uh, you know, hit the check mark. But I didn't realize what I was really agreeing to. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're sharing my information with all the other stores where I am inside that particular mall. And even after I left, then that store is uh, sending me uh, my uh, email deals and discounts. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for all this. At least I didn't think I did. But you did. <laughs> exactly. All, all I wanted was your Wi-Fi at the time. No, nothing's, nothing's ever free. free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was free Wi-Fi, but no. There's uh, there's no free lunches. There's always a string attached. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.